0: This is NTS Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to In Good Company on NTS Radio, a monthly show for working women with me, Atega Uagba. If this is the first time you're tuning in, a quick intro. I'm the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for creative working women, and I'm also the author of the Sunday Times bestseller, Little Black Book, a modern career guide for working women that you can find on Amazon or at all good bookstores. I've actually just published a new special edition of Little Black Book, which has a shiny gold cover and two additional chapters covering everything from how to manage a tricky boss to how to assert yourself at work, so do pick up a copy of that to make sure you finish 2018 on a work high. This podcast is all about providing you with the practical advice and fresh ideas that will help you work better. Aided and abetted by some of the smart, successful, creative women I know. New episodes are released monthly and you can listen to them live on NTS or download them via iTunes. So make sure you subscribe now to automatically get each episode straight to your phone. And speaking of practical advice, I've recently launched a new event format with Women Who called The Roundtables, which are a series of monthly workshops specifically created to help you find solutions to your career challenges. Part mentor session, part careers clinic, each roundtable consists of a structured three-hour workshop led by yours truly, and they're basically a space for you to throw around ideas, build your network, and get advice from a group of like-minded women. Head to our website, www.womenwho.co, to apply now. Today I'm going to be talking to Georgia Spray, who's the founder of Partnership Editions, a platform that collaborates with emerging and mid-career artists to create a selection of beautiful, unique and accessibly priced art. If you're anything like me, you probably find the art world somewhat intimidating. And what's really drawn me to Partnership Editions since I first discovered it earlier this year is Georgia's focus on making sure the artwork she sells through the platform is truly accessible. Nothing on the website retails for more than £1,000 and most artworks cost significantly less. Then there's the fact that Partnership Editions really strives to take art beyond the traditional gallery setting. Think supper clubs, talks, workshops, all of which are curated with Georgia's exquisite good taste, not to mention pop-ups with the likes of fashion brand of the moment Rixo and the supremely classy department store Liberties. One of the things I was really interested to find out is how exactly Georgia's managed to build such a refined brand in such a short amount of time so you'll hear more about that shortly. Also coming up, an Ask or Take a Ortega segment in which I give some advice to someone who really struggles when it comes to public speaking. But before I get into that, here's Georgia.
1: Partnership Editions is a curated platform um, of emerging artists um, unearthing the exciting talent of the future. Um, the idea is it's excessively priced um, and geared towards the sort of fledgling collector or the first-time buyer.
0: And when did you launch it and why did you decide to launch it?
1: Um, I launched it in January 2017. So that's not that, that's quite recently. Quite recently, yeah. Um, It's coming up to two years, yeah. It feels like it's been going for
0: longer, in a good way. Yeah. It feels more established.
1: Well, I kind of feel like it hasn't been going for that long because I only kind of went full-time on it recently. But it all started um, because I was working in the art world uh, and I went freelance as a consultant in 2016. And in that time, um, lots of friends were sort of saying, Where can I buy affordable art? Um, And they were sort of at a stage where they were moving into their first flat or, you know, kind of felt like they were above the IKEA, hanging hanging an IKEA (laughs) clip frame in their flat and were very house proud um and had probably decorated all the rest of their flat, but hadn't ever really thought about what goes on the walls. Um, and because I worked in the art world, they came to me and said, you know, where can we buy really good affordable art? Um and I genuinely didn't really feel kind of confident in recommending one place that was sort of a go-to, um which had the balance of being affordable and good quality or curated. Um, and so it kind of got me thinking about how I could merge a sort of platform for emerging collectors and emerging artists Um, so it all really started as a bit of an experiment because I was as I say I was I was a freelance art consultant actually in contemporary African art at the time um and had other projects going on and was still kind of doing the odd day um here and there for uh, an art dealer called Ivor Bracker um and I had this idea and I kind of I actually spoke to my dad who said because I went to him and I said, you know, I've got this business idea. And he, he sort of encouraged me that rather than writing a long business plan or thinking about it, to just go and do it. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a couple of friends who were artists um, and speaking to them was like the best way of strategically planning a business because I could really kind of get to grips with what artists wanted as well. And it was, you know, I had the demand or the conversations with friends who clearly wanted sort of affordable art, and then being able to have really kind of candid conversations with the artists themselves to say, as an emerging artist who's just left art school, what do you want? I think the whole sort of playing field for artists is really changing because I don't think artists want people necessarily to take ownership anymore or to have exclusivity with, because the traditional gallery model is that you would be exclusive to a gallery mm-hmm. um, and they would represent you. And um I think a lot of things are changing because artists kind of have their own brand already. And with things like Instagram, they can they can sort of market themselves and often sell their own work as well. So I don't I didn't want to crush that um, because I think, you know, autonomy as an artist is a really brilliant thing. Um, But that's kind of how the name Partnership Editions came about, because the idea was that it was a kind of a collaborative um thing rather than taking ownership of of the artist and putting it sort of under my own name because a lot of a lot of traditional art galleries are the art kind of the gallerist's name and then the artist sort of slot into that so um the idea of calling it partnership editions was like quite a neutral name that meant you know it was all about the idea of collaboration so
0: how does it work do the artists you work with create artwork specifically and exclusively for partnership editions or do they just sell their stuff through you
1: uh, it's a bit of a combination actually because um, either I might meet an artist um, and go to their studio and I can see that there's pre-existing work that would be a really good fit um, or if I approach an artist, um, for example, there's an artist I work with called Hester Finch who um, I discovered her work through the House of St Barnabas actually I went and I saw that she had some amazing oil paintings there um, and I approached her and said I absolutely love your work um, I realise it's probably slightly above the, the price point that my collectors are looking for. Um, but would you ever you know, think of either doing a print or um, collaborating on something that could be more affordable? Um, and she then came up with the idea of, well, work on paper is a really great solution for artists because um, rather than a big canvas or something that might be more time-consuming, it could be a drawing or a sketch, um, which might be something that they could create a series from that's mm. perhaps less time consuming um but i in my opinion equally beautiful and yeah,
0: i've seen i've seen her
1: work yeah and um so she started making pastel pastel works on paper which is i'm sure something that she's done before but maybe not that she'd done sort of on a commercial level or something that she'd really sort of put out there um and yeah it was a a great sort of a great result and it's been a an amazing kind of fit for the platform because mm we're able to price them sort of, you know, they're not affordable is such a subjective term. But I mean, I think the tricky thing is the term affordability because, you know, there's this term affordable art and you wouldn't get that with any other sort of luxury goods. You know, you wouldn't really say like, well, you might say affordable clothing, but you then sort of think of, I don't know, Primark or something Mm -hmm. like that. But with affordable art, it's still not affordable. It's still a very much a luxury good. And so I think I'm sort of, as you say, I'm I'm pitching it at a level of, you know, if you went and bought an amazing dress for a wedding or, you know, a really beautiful I don't know, piece of furniture for your home. It's kind of it's definitely something that you have to think about. It's a kind of an investment um, for most people. I'm not sort of in any way underestimating that it is a big purchase. Um, but, yeah, totally in the in the scheme of the art world, it's it's absolutely affordable. So
0: and what were the biggest challenges for you? when you were getting this off the ground? Because it sounds like you did something really smart, which is you kind of started and then presumably you've kind of added to it and grown and seen what worked. But in those kind of initial few months, what were the bigger challenges?
1: I think definitely the biggest challenge is starting a business on your own um, and having this sort of self-confidence to not give up at any stage because there were just so many unknowns and daily sort of challenges that I just couldn't predict and then you know you'd come up against something and I would think is this going to be the the thing that actually stops me from kind of continuing the business or maybe this is the reason why you know it's not going to work out and then two minutes later it might kind of a flick a switch might flick and I realise that there is a way around it but without having a business partner to kind of like talk sense into you or to give you the the sort of self-confidence to continue is quite hard. So you've got to be quite headstrong. Um, but luckily I have an amazing network of friends who kind of played that role. And also the artists um, often act as my kind of colleagues. Um, I've really struggled with
0: that with Women here as well. I think we're in quite similar positions mm. in that we are both kind of soul founders. And I think something that, you know, I'm, I'm very happy, I think in many ways kind of being a soul, you know, working on my own, but... Also, it does mean that you're making 95% of the decisions on your own every day and that gets quite exhausting and sometimes you do just need a kind of second or third opinion. Like, Do you have any mentors or anyone that you can kind of turn to and ask for advice on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I just have a huge sort of network of, of mentors, but no one, no one who's a sort of official mentor or a formal mentor in that sense. Um, but, yeah, I think I just glean as much kind of information and inspiration from friends actually because um so many of my friends are kind of entrepreneurs as well and um have started their own thing and so we just we exchange a lot of ideas that way um and then through starting partnership editions, I've met so many people who are just incredible sort of reminders of why it's okay to kind of struggle at times and to have and these challenges that you know come up against it and to realize that it's kind of not such a lonely thing and a lot of people when I started a business were sort of saying aren't you very lonely on your own and and actually starting your own business is a really kind of it's a it's a something that brings you together with so many people which I absolutely love
0: definitely and I kind of want to move on a little bit to the more financial commercial side of things because I'm curious as to how partnership editions actually work so one thing I actually wanted to ask is when you're selecting artists I know obviously your own personal tastes are important and you kind of pick people that you enjoy working with and whose work you also appreciate but what are the commercial considerations that you take into account when you're selecting an artist because there must be some
1: Mm. yeah there are definitely I mean I, I try not to to let the sort of commercial side or to think too much about whether the artist would be commercial before deciding whether they're the right fit and I think I try to be much more led by kind of what my initial the impact of the artist So if you know they have a a combination of being sort of having something that's incredibly visual and aesthetic that really speaks to me and underneath that I think there always needs to be some deeper layers within the artwork that i kind of feel like keeps drawing me back to it in some way Um, but on a commercial level once i've sort of signed up an artist or once we've decided that we're going to work together i think between us there's often conversations about commercial you know on the commercial side um that we have to think about so whether that's pricing i mean that's always a really really difficult one with art is how to price um so that we make sure that we're not sort of devaluing any of the art because a lot of them are original pieces. So, um, you know, we don't want to to price them down and also have to obviously be considerate of the artist's time and the fact that they're making a living out of this. Um, but obviously we want, we want to appeal to a sort of, you know, a, a wide-ranging audience um, and especially to kind of a younger collector or an emerging collector. Um, so I think the pricing element is quite um yeah a conversation that we, we always have to bear in mind. Um, and then there are other factors just like, you know, size and things like that, which sounds so boring. But
0: No, I mean you're selling a physical product. Yeah. I mean obviously it is so much more than that and it has so much more significance, but you know, shipping, logistics, distribution, yeah. storage, insurance, how do you factor all of those? Well things it's in? often
1: actually the um, the difference between... So if you if you were selling something below sort of A3 in size, um, which is, yeah, two A4 sheets of paper, um, often people are kind of willing to, to buy that without thinking about where it's going to go. Um, whereas you start getting any larger than that and people have to really have a place in mind where they want to put that. Um, and then it becomes more of a conversation between a couple that live together or housemates because it's taking up a sort of you know a a bigger part in your home um so these are all kind of like really detailed boring things to think about when it comes to art because you think art is something that is about you know your connection with the piece and it's about aesthetics but um I've kind of realized that you know sometimes I can just see patterns in the way that people buy Mm. um
0: that's a really important observation actually which makes sense but you know if you were to commission kind of a 100 A1 Mm. tapestries you'd probably find them a bit harder to sell than something like you say a kind of A3, A4 just smaller things but I suppose that's one commercial consideration. Mm -hmm. I kind of just so that I'm clear and so that everyone is listening is clear is presumably the partnership editions business model works that you take a commission from what's sold or the artist gets a cut is that generally how it works?
1: Yeah, so the, the business model is um, is commission-based. It's kind of a consignment model. So rather than me buying the artwork, um, if it sells, I would take a commission. Um, so I kind of handle all the the sales um, and finances and then pay the artists at the end of the month for the sales from that month um, with their commission. So, um, yeah, on, on my side, it's quite risk-averse because mm. I don't actually have many upfront costs. Um mm.
0: That actually leads me quite nicely on to another question because I was going to ask you how you initially funded partnership editions right at the start, but it almost sounds to me like maybe you didn't have that m- many startup costs, or, or did
1: you? Like, did you have to kind of have like an initial injection of capital? Um, I mean, it, none of it was was something that I couldn't manage. I mean, I I was working a full time job as well, so I self funded um, the entire business. But the major things that I spent money on were was lawyers and accountants because I just wanted to make sure that all of that was completely watertight because it's just an area that I don't know anything about and I felt, you know, I couldn't really teach myself. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing that really, really by the book. Um, So in terms of like all my terms and conditions. um, That's
0: actually a really important I'm glad that you said that specifically because you work in the art world and I think you're almost not I mean I know you personally so you're not the last person I'd expect but I think people kind of think about the kind of fun creative visual side of art mm. but for you to say that you're setting up a business based in the art world and the thing that you kind of focus most on is the legal and accounting side of things mm. is really really important I think for people to hear
1: yeah I think the fact that I didn't know anything about them myself I just felt those those were the areas I wanted to hand over to the expert whereas the kind of you know the building of a website and things that obviously I didn't know anything about before but you know they were kind of from a slightly more aesthetic or creative side that I was quite keen to teach myself anyway um so yeah I'm quite happy that I that I did sort of spend the money at the beginning to do that properly because I haven't Touchwood had any kind of issues. On, on that side but yeah the setup costs apart from those things were relatively low I mean obviously creating a, a Squarespace and having that platform is relatively well it's it's pretty low cost actually um and then there's always little hidden hidden things um beyond the so you mentioned
0: that you started partnership editions around you working were you working full-time at that point you were freelance but working full-time
1: so I was actually I was freelance for a while and then I I had the idea for partnership editions, and I realised that was something that I wanted to pursue. So Then I actually, kind of counterintuitively, started working full time because I realised that I wanted to fund the business. Got it. So I went back into full time work. Got it. Um, and I was. Were you working five days a week? Yeah, I was working five you days a week full time. Partnership editions around that. Um, so I was really lucky actually because um, my boss at the time, I explained to him that I wanted to start a business, mm. um, and the the work it was in the art world, but it was also. Quite a lot of like PA type duties, mm. um, and he was travelling a lot, so um, I was very upfront with him and said, you know, I'm, I want to start this business, but I also really want to work with you. Um, is there a way that we can sort of, you know, try and do the two? And, and I really want to keep a foot in the art world as well. Mm. Um, and so we agreed that as long as I was getting all the work done for him, mm. um, that you know, if there were any bits in between, any bit, sort of downtime, um, that I could, you know, keep working on partnership editions, um, and because. It was basically, you know, pretty much an online business. I could take it anywhere with me. Yeah. Um, the thing that I did find pretty restrictive and eventually is why I had to leave is because all of the kind of the human relationships, which are so important to the business and the the relationships with the artists and going to studio visits. And it was just really difficult to fit that in. And I just felt, you know, I was asking too much of the artists and of people that I was working with to kind of meet me in the evenings and the weekends because mm. that's kind of what I was relying on for so long. Mm.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So at that stage, you decided to go full time with Partnership Editions. Mm-hmm. From a financial point of view, how did you make that work? Was it was it was the business at a position where you felt like you could make that work full time, or did you have to rely on savings, or how did that work?
1: Yeah, it was it was very much the feeling that I was kind of pushed because of um, sort of workload rather than. I just thought, you know, perfect. I can now, uh, I can now afford to leave. Um, so yeah, I mean, it. It. Luckily, I was, I was saving because I, because I'd gone into work with the knowledge that I was setting up this business. Mm. I was putting aside money, um, kind of knowing that at some point I was going to have to take the leap, and I probably wouldn't be able to kind of afford it through the business. Mm. Um, so, I did have savings to kind of run off. Um, and but the thing is, even though partnership editions is kind of profitable at this stage it's I try to put everything that is made back into the business mm. and to kind of be quite strict about not touching that as much as possible because I really want to to invest it back into what's been created.
0: I'm smiling because I think in so many ways your experience and your decisions completely reflects mine and what mm. I've done with Women Who and it's just quite gratifying to hear someone else say the same things um, mm. but kind of moving on from money and finance now um, I want to talk about the kind of PR and marketing side of Partnership Editions because I think you guys have a really... Inc- I say you guys, <laughs> it's yeah, just you. Just um, but that, in fact, that kind of says a lot in itself, but I think Partnership Editions has a really um, amazing profile and you have had some incredible press, you know, Thank from you. the ES magazine and you've done all these amazing collabs and pop-ups and, you know, I think it's really established itself amongst a certain sort of group of Londoners who are quite fashionable and quite kind of clued and quite cultural as, you know, a brand to go to. And I was wondering what your approach to PR had been both initially, and now because I know Mm. that things have changed along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always knew that PR was going to be really crucial to, to sort of starting the business. And I, it was something that I, I was kind of Not willing to spend a lot of money on advertising I knew that from the get-go um and uh my but my initial kind of PR strategy um was was pretty limited um I was focusing much more on just getting the business up and running getting the right artists um I had a few small mentions here and there where where people picked up on it but I wasn't really actively pushing it so much um but it was yeah I was more focusing on kind of events and instagram and using that as a as a way of reaching people how Um, important
0: has instagram been for you and for partnership Editions? i'm really intrigued
1: it's been absolutely crucial yeah i mean it's such an amazing tool for not only sourcing artists um but then selling the artwork and i think Mm. at at the level that i'm selling people are willing to kind of see an image on an Instagram Mm. post and then click on it and buy it um and it's yeah it's also just been incredible in the way of um being able to kind of show people the whole sort of creativity behind the scenes Mm. so inside the artist studio um kind of also the process is really important because I think a lot of people um think that they're digital prints because Mm. they're the, the word print um, now kind of se- it is a way. really it's a it's a it's a quite a complex term in the digital age because everyone assumes that a print is something that's digital. And, um, you know, often if we do have prints on on partnership editions they will be handmade um, etchings or screen prints. And so they're very much kind of highly skilled um, mm. craft. Um, so use being able to use Instagram as a way of doing little videos or just showing people the kind of handmade and the process, which has been a a great kind of educational tool as well, because unless you've gone to art school or um, are an artist, you might not know that whole kind of side of it.
0: I have a question for you, which I feel like I probably already know the answer to. But then I wonder, given how important Instagram clearly is to your sales, does that influence the sort of artists you choose to work with?
1: Mm. Yes, I think that's what I was kind of touching on earlier about trying not to think too much about whether an artist is commercial Mm. because you know I could just trawl through Instagram and find the artists that have the most following and think Mm. I'll just make a sort of like best of Instagram platform Mm. but actually I think you know if anything I'm looking for artists that have like a really raw talent and that's not always you know people shouldn't be so concerned with the likes I think that's one of the dangers of Instagram it's very much a you know a kind of double-edged sword because people can become too obsessed by creating work that they think people want to see mm. and that's when you can kind of lose the integrity or authenticity of an art form
0: Well there's a kind of I think in every kind of sort of side of visuals there's kind of an insta aesthetic so mm-hmm. whether it comes to book covers or whether it comes to you know interiors whether it comes to art whether it comes to clothes like they're very you know insta ready, products available to buy and people kind of curate their lives in a certain way so it is refreshing to hear someone who kind of is working outside that I'm actually curious so we've talked about Instagram um, and social media I feel like from kind of observing partnership editions the various kind of things that I've observed that you kind of use to promote yourself are Instagram and social media you know you've had kind of mainstream press features you know like you know print press Events, which are both kind of hosted mm-hmm. by you and also events that you've taken part in from mm-hmm. other people. I'm curious as to which of those channels or formats you found has been most helpful for you, both in terms of driving brand awareness mm-hmm. and also in terms of driving actual
1: sales. Mm. I think it's kind of like the whole, the, the whole thing is really important. So I've always kind of um, thought that being just an online platform, is never the way that I wanted to take partnership editions. So I think the kind of the event side and bringing bringing the art to life through interactive events is really crucial to the brand. And always what I had in mind with partnership editions and again, why it has the name, um, is to to collaborate with like-minded brands outside of the traditional gallery space. So um, bringing art outside of the kind of the exclusive white wall gallery sort of champagne sphere and and kind of putting it in a much more accessible space where people are actually willing to talk to each other and engage with the art in a new way whether that means doing a life drawing class and actually meeting the artist and seeing how they make the art through life drawing um, or you know going to a pop-up at a fashion event um, where again people are just much more tactile in their in the way that they interact with fashion um you know you pick up an item of clothing and you feel it and and it's just i feel like if you go to a an opening at a you know a, a sort of a shop people will kind of talk to each other whereas there's this this strange sort of disconnect with people in an art gallery where it's all very I think it can be and, a bit intimidating yeah art
0: galleries um, that's how i generally find them mm. um in terms of the kind of the smaller kind of special ex- ones i think for kind of bigger art galleries and like tourist spots it feels a little bit different but in terms of you know if i go to you know a private view mm. i do feel a little bit kind of like well
1: just the name alone yeah well like, exactly you know. <laughs> yeah that kind of says yeah it
0: all. um but back to kind of pr and marketing because mm. i know you decided to sign up with a pr agency or a freelance pr not long ago yeah um what kind of pushed you to to do that, mm. and how did you kind of go about evaluating and weighing up who you
1: wanted to work with? So it all kind of happened. I it, I was quite surprised. It wasn't necessarily an intentional thing. Um, she actually contacted me on Instagram, um, and I think it was off the back of I did an exhibition with Alexico um, at Bank and Bow, and uh, we did these. A run of events. It was over International Women's Day. We did a, a run of events with some other incredible kind of female entrepreneurs and creatives. Um, and I think the kind of the reach was quite wide. Um, and so I think possibly Lucy picked it up from there and just got in contact. And um, once we started speaking, I kind of immediately understood that she really got the brand. And um, I would have been quite apprehensive to, to decide that PR would be the first thing I'd spend money on, because I actually have a, a background in in PR myself. And um, so I kind of always thought I could do that, you know, on my own. Um, but then once we started talking, I realised that, you know, what we were saying before about being a one-man band, it was so nice to have someone else to kind of bounce ideas off with and um, to just have a sounding board and to be able to talk about your personal brand with someone, you know, that's not the ideas in your head going round and round. Because I'm very much someone that shies away from sort of personal marketing. And uh, I think Lucy's really taught me that, um, you know, people value the the sort of curator behind Absolutely. the brand. Um, and that's, I've learned a lot from that because I would have ne- never sort of put anything about myself on the website because um, I obviously want the artist to be at the forefront, which they still are. But I think, you know, in a world where everything is so digital it is really important to see the faces um, behind the brand so um, she's really kind of driven that side of things which you know I never would have been able to do myself
0: I think that's really great I mean I think something that I've seen so much myself in terms of with Women Who and also just in terms of kind of general career advice for creatives and Mm. self-employed creative freelancers people don't like brands people like people they Mm -hmm. want to know who the person is behind a brand you know Actually, I say people don't like brands. I feel like millennials are kind of bucking that trend a bit. Like I was reading something the other day about, you know, under 35s are kind of the first generation to just wholeheartedly embrace brands. Really? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, I think we're just so used to that model of needing brands to kind of subsidize creative work and creative endeavors that now it just feels, I think kind of models and activity that, maybe in generations past would have been called selling out like Mm -hmm. teaming up with like you know a drinks brand to fund or host your event most people would have been like oh my god that's you know so corporate Mm. but now
1: i think people i don't know what do you think i don't know i think on the sort of topic of collaboration it's just for me right now as as a really early kind of stage company um i just need to be Super careful about the people that I collaborate to make sure that it's the right fit. Yeah. Um. But so, yeah. how do you
0: decide who's the right fit? Because you've collaborated with Rixo, mm-hmm. which is kind of the you know women's wear brand of the moment. You've mm-hmm. also done a pop up at Liberty's, which is you know creme de la creme. So how? Yeah. I mean, I say how do you decide? I, I I presume with those, it's like that's a pretty easy decision. Yeah. But like, how do you kind of weigh up who um, who makes the cut?
1: Well, with the Rixo one, for example, that was. It was, I think it was really tailored to the artist that we did the collaboration with. So um, Rosa Lecture harris um, who whose work we exhibited in their pop-up, um, her work is so, so sort of on-brand for Rixo because it's about print and she's very inspired by Japanese um, sort of textiles um, and so are they and it's got a very vintage feel to it. So it kind of, it felt totally right and it didn't feel forced. And I think that's, something that I've learned that's so important for every collaboration that we now do between an artist and a brand is that it has to feel like the collaboration is tailored to the artist and that also that the artist kind of is there because they're putting their style on it rather than them being because you know some we're approached by quite a lot of brands who want artists to do sort of things for them which are quite illustrative but there's often quite a sort of specific brief, which mm. is much more about the brand rather than the artist. And mm. I think, well, if you want to get an artist behind your brand, you need to kind of let the artist's creativity come through. Otherwise, you could just ask anyone to do that. Totally. totally. Um, so that's really important with with everything that we do to make sure that, you know, there's a it feels like a balanced collaboration.
0: And more generally, I'm quite curious because I think your job has so many varying aspects to it. What does an average, I was going to say day, but maybe an average week look mm. like for you? What do you spend most of your time doing?
1: Well, I'm actually quite consistent with my kind of routine. I'm a real routine person. So um, at the moment, I'm working from a space, bank and bow which um, is where I had the exhibition with Alexico last March. And then they very kindly gave me a residency to kind of curate their exhibition programme. So I'm stationed there in the week. Um, and I pretty much, I mean, there's now a steady stream of just admin that I have to get through every day. And, the admin. Uh, yeah. kills me. So, you know, sending out shipments and replying to emails. I mean, obviously it seems like quite an automated um, website on the face of it, but there's a lot of, you know, encouragement and questions that, that go on with someone who wants to make their first art purchase. Mm. So a lot of people, which I love, because that is what it's all about, you know, um, a lot of people get in touch beforehand and want to find out more about the artwork. Mm. Um, so but that um, is time consuming. Yeah, it's really time consuming. And, you know, I've kind of realized that even if you're selling something affordable, you're putting just as much effort into it as you would if it was, you know, 10,000 pounds, 10 million pounds, it's mm. kind of the same, the same process um, goes into, into that sale. So, um, yeah, there is a lot of just emails and back and forth and admin. Um, and I'm also, uh, which I, I love, I'm in contact with the artists. It's a very like hands-on relationship. Um, I'm in contact with all of them, all of the London based ones pretty much every day on, on WhatsApp. Um, so it's, there's always ideas kind of about, what's coming next, new releases, um, collaborations, pop-ups. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I've I've learned is that things happen so sort of immediately and out of the blue and often, you know, people want to turn things around in a couple of days or a week. Yeah. Um, so, which is, is great because actually being a small business, I'm able to kind of react quite quickly and just get it done. Um, whereas I feel like if I was in a big brand with a lot of, you know, other sort of, levels to kind of go to and people to pass things by it might not happen so Mm. it's quite great that we can kind of react quite quickly and get and and sort of collaborate on things um quite sort of seamlessly Mm. um so yeah each day is pretty unpredictable I'd say but it's it's kind of it's got a routine to it
0: what would you say is the most challenging aspect of what you do I think maybe you touched on it earlier when you talked about being Mm. a sole founder would you say that's the most challenging aspect or are there other things?
1: Yeah, I would say definitely. I think what I've realised is that the most challenging thing is if you're working on your own, that you can't take things personally because mm. your brand becomes part of you. And so anything that you know doesn't come through from a business point of view, it's really hard not to take it as a sort of personal insult or mm. to, to get emotional. So I've really had to kind of thicken my skin on that on that level, I think. Um, and realize that you know it's just business Um, and yeah also kind of finding the time to to step away from business kind of in the evenings or in social occasions and to to have that divide between you know because you are your you are your brand and you are you know you live and breathe it and um, so that's definitely a a major challenge I'd say.
0: And what what would you say is the most surprising aspect of what you do like what has surprised you most about say perhaps working full-time on partnership editions?
1: um I think I've just been surprised at how much you can teach yourself to do mm. um, and that's one of the the greatest things about having basically zero budget to create a business is I think that you just become much more resourceful and you you try things that you would never have even considered trying if you you know knew that you could just hire someone else to do it so you know I've taught myself a lot of random skills and just you know thought for five minutes about how I can make it happen without just sort of knowing that I can you know put a sort of checkbook behind it yeah and what do you what if anything would you have done differently daily there are things that I think I should do (laughs) differently but but that's the kind of beauty of it you if as the business has been so organic in its growth it's all about kind of and it's it's always been a test you know I I started it purely as a as an experiment so I kind of felt like there was slightly less pressure on things going wrong um and I felt like whenever something did go wrong it was kind of you know the term pivot is what say? <laughs> all those jargon but um yeah it did give me like less fear of just being able to say like right okay that didn't quite work. Let's try something else. Um, but yeah, going back to the kind of emotional side of things, I've le- I've definitely learned that you just can't take it personally. Mm. Just got to be thick-skinned and think, right, move on. What next?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest learnings I've had with women who my mum... Um, once I think I pitched something or I asked someone to do something, they said no. And my mum was just like, well, not everyone's going to clap for you. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> what? I was expecting the sympathy <laughs> here. But yeah. she, yeah, well, exactly. But I think um, learning that has been so mm. useful for me in terms of kind of Definitely. my journey. Um, and what final question what is next for you and for partnership editions, say in 2019?
1: Well, in the very short term, I've got an exhibition coming up on the 15th of November um, at Benk and Bow, which is going to be 12 different artists creating, it's called Modernist Miniaturists, and it's lots of beautiful miniatures, which I love as a so small format art. Um, and then in the longer term, I think with the knowledge that at the moment, it's kind of my curated edit of artists that I love, and the fact that... Um, You know, I always think that the curation is so key to the whole kind of ethos of the business that I want to bring in guest curators Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of try and expand and please everyone myself. I'd Mm -hmm. like to bring in guest curators who are kind of tastemakers in their own field, Mm -hmm. so not necessarily art curators, um, but just like anyone who's, you know, an interesting founder has their own story, Mm -hmm. um, has a connection with art or just, you know, has a good sort of I in any way um, to to start bringing in those sorts of people to kind of do guest edits or that sounds like a introduce really smart new idea. artists.
0: So, yeah, exciting stuff. Well, mm. thank you very much for coming into the studio today. Thank
1: you. It's been great.
0: On today's segment of Ask otega I've got a letter from a woman who's got a fear of public speaking. Here it is. Dear otega I'm writing in regarding a rather embarrassing issue I have to do with articulation. I find that I really struggle to speak confidently and clearly in a professional environment. I work in publishing within a respected magazine editorial team, and I often feel embarrassed to the point of completely loathing myself whenever I'm asked to speak publicly or when I'm in meetings with people more senior than me. My words come out jumbled. I forget the meanings of words I know very well. I get brain fog and say the wrong thing, Outside of a professional setting or when socialising with colleagues outside of work, I'm absolutely fine. I'm not sure if this issue is to do with nerves or because I'm multilingual, or both. All I know is I'm tired of going home feeling stupid, humiliated and like an imposter who'd be better off starring as Vicky Pollard from Little Britain. I really worry that people look down on me. My colleagues all happen to be middle or upper middle class and I feel like I don't quite fit in as a woman from a poor working class background. How the hell do I get around this? Yours sincerely, Mrs. Stumblebum. Um, And I should point out there that Mrs. Stumblebum is the name that this letter writer gave herself, not me. Um, But I'm gonna stick with it because it's actually quite cute. Um, So first of all, Mrs. Stumblebum, the first thing I'd say is you shouldn't be at all embarrassed. Public speaking is actually one of those things that I think most people really struggle with and feel really nervous about and shy away from doing. It can be absolutely massively nerve-wracking, especially if it's something you don't do very often or haven't ever done before. Um, and it's also self-perpetuating. I think once you get it into your head that you can't do this, you tend to get anxious and nervous and fluff your lines and it kind of becomes a bit of a cycle. You think you're bad at public speaking, so you get nervous and then you kind of mess things up a bit when you do up. Do you go up to have to do something publicly. Um, I consider myself just quite lucky, this isn't a brag but I consider myself quite lucky in that because I had to do a lot of public speaking as a teenager and then I end up working advertising where I was constantly pitching to clients and constantly having to get up and present. Um, I've kind of managed to get quite comfortable with the public speaking which has come in incredibly useful since I wrote a book and set up Women Who because there's lots of public speaking that's involved in both those things um, and it also sounds like you've got kind of an additional hurdle here in that you're multilingual which FYI is generally a huge professional advantage so I wouldn't see that as a negative negative. Um, and I suspect maybe English isn't your first language or that wasn't quite clear from your letter but generally it seems like maybe the language thing is also a bit of an issue for you um, but then given you said that you're completely fine in social situations even when those social situations involve your colleagues it sounds to me like this is just a really simple case of nerves and You're in the majority there, so don't freak out. As I said, public speaking is something a lot of people struggle with and shy away from, so much so that I dedicated an entire chapter to how to be better at public speaking in Little Black Book. So I'm gonna share a few of the top tips from that. The first and most important thing to bear in mind when it comes to public speaking is to practise as much as possible. Whether you're new to public speaking or you're a seasoned pro, just rehearse your talk or your presentation, whatever it is, as much as you can, both on your own and in front of a mirror, or in front of willing friends Um, learn your presentation inside out then practice delivering it to your friends or your housemates or your boyfriend the day before so that you're used to presenting that specific information in front of people also the better you know your presentation the less likely you're going to be left fumbling for the right words which is another reason to get practicing I think something else to bear in mind is that when you're nervous it triggers a sort of fight or flight response in our bodies, which can lead to a huge surge of adrenaline going around your body that manifests itself in all the ways you described in your letter. So feeling flustered, forgetting your train of thought. And there are a few techniques that can kind of help counteract your body's totally natural reaction to nerves, which one of them is just breathing. So a few minutes before you're due to speak, do a bit of sort of meditation, kind of breathing, taking slow, deep breaths, give your body much more oxygen which is what it needs at that moment and that can help calm you down and help to sort of alleviate any of the physical signs of nervousness you might be showing um a really important thing is to make sure you've eaten something having an empty stomach can really exacerbate your anxiety so make time for like a light snack or something an hour before your presentation don't try and give a good presentation on an empty stomach Make sure you're well hydrated um, and have a glass of water handy whilst you're speaking in case your mouth starts to feel a bit dry. That can also be a good kind of stalling tactic, you know, just to kind of buy yourself a few seconds if you just kind of have a quick sip of water and then return to whatever you're saying. Um, If you're presenting sort of at like Drinks, functions, or evening events, um, tempting as though it might be to rely on a bit of Dutch courage. I would really say that you should avoid hitting the booze beforehand. Alcohol dehydrates your body, which won't help if your mouth is feeling dry. And it also kind of makes you think a bit more slowly. So you might lose your train of thought and that could slow your responses. So just kind of try and avoid alcohol in those situations. Um, and then also just try and remember to make eye contact with your audience. So, you know, divide your attention kind of equally between all corners of the room. And quite early on in your presentation, try and kind of find a friend or like a friendly looking face in the audience and direct your words towards them, because that will make you feel calmer and more confident. And it can also kind of help you gauge how your words are going down. I think something that's really important to remember when you go up to do public speaking is that the people that you're speaking to, they want you to do well. They want your presentation to go well. So try not to see this as like a hostile environment where people are just waiting for you to trip up, because that's just not the case. Um, I hope you find that helpful and as I said there's plenty more advice where that came from in the little black book so do pick up a copy of that if public speaking is something that you struggle with. If you've got a career question you'd like my advice on during next month's Ask Take a Taker segment just email podcast at womenwho.co and let me know what's on your mind. And that's it for this month, thank you for tuning in. For more career inspiration and information, follow Women Who at Women Who on Instagram and Twitter or head to our website, www.womenwho.co forward slash newsletter to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Roundup, or to apply for a space on our mental workshop. You can find me at Ategu on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe. And as always, please, please, please leave me a lovely five-star review whilst you're there. See you next month. This is NTS and
1: radio and radio and radio and radio.